0: Amen. Well, good morning. good morning. We are talking this morning. Hey Bob, can we have the displays up here, please? I was for your mic to come on. I understand. So the gospel truth, each gospel account, shares unique aspects about Jesus. So the question to contemplate as we walk into our lesson this morning, why? Are there four different gospels? God could have made just one. But he chose to make four. God doesn't do anything without a reason. So what can we what can looking at that question help us how 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 can considering that question help us to better understand God's word? So the memory verse Excuse me, same as it was uh, last week. Let's say it together. Therefore, the Lord Himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. So, last week, we considered the nature of the New Testament, how it testifies that it is Holy Scripture and inspired by God, about the backgrounds of the men who wrote it, who were mostly apostles handpicked by Christ, how the canon was established. And a little bit about how God's word was preserved. This week, we're going to look at the four gospels. We're going to consider why there are four and not just one, what makes each gospel unique, what message, objective, and the audience of each one was and is. So there is a fable which is common on the subcontinent of India, and it talks about blind men and an elephant. And it tells how a bunch of blind men encounter an elephant for for the first time. And each of them tries to use his sense of touch to understand what an elephant is. One of them touches the trunk and declares that an elephant is like a thick snake. Another touches its ear and describes an elephant like a fan. A third one feels its leg and compares it to a tree. A fourth... Its tail compares it to a rope, and a fifth touches the tusk and compares it to a spear. Now in this fable, the five men proceed to argue. Because each has their own perception of an elephant, and each is confident that it understands what an elephant, that he understands what an elephant is. What does that have to do with the gospels? Each of us, when it comes to understanding God, is blind. We can barely conceive in our minds of Christ, who was at least in some of his nature human. Understanding God himself is so far beyond us. And so God has given us four different pictures of himself, of Christ in this case, so that we can better understand. Now, the Gospels don't argue with each other, unlike the guys in the fable, but they present different perspectives of who Christ is so that we can get a more complete picture. So God, in his wisdom, inspired four different men to write their accounts of Christ from four different perspectives. Each different version of the story can better reach a diverse crowd of seekers. Some of them are particularly targeted on a specific audience, others are more broad in their context, but each has a particular view of Christ. Consider, by example, two great sermons recorded in the Bible by Peter and by Paul. Now, Peter preaching on the day of uh, Pentecost to a multinational crowd, but they're all Jews. They all have a common cultural history, even though they may come from Greece and Parthia and Asia Minor and Syria. They've been scattered through the world, but they all have that common Jewish heritage. (coughs) In his sermon, he quotes from the Old Testament. He references Joel and David. He didn't bother explaining ideas like sin and judgment, because that audience already knew it. He was living in a Jewish culture. He was preaching to people steeped in a Jewish culture. On the other hand, Paul, preaching to Greeks on the mountain of the Areopagus, takes a very different approach. He knew his audience had no Old Testament knowledge. He starts by explaining who God is the creator of the whole world, the only one worthy of worship. Then he speaks of a need for repentance and faith. Both sermons are talking about the same need that people have, but they come from completely different places. There's very little similarity to the structure or the initial message of the sermons because these people were speaking to their audiences. In the same way that a preacher today preaching to college kids and senior citizens probably is not going to preach the same way if he wants to be effective. Paul said of his intention, For though I be free from all... Did I have this one? Yeah. No? Yes? Which? I'm sorry, brother.
1: For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. And unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without the law, as without the law. Being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ. That I might gain them that are without law. To the weak became I as weak that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some.
0: And Paul is saying here, he doesn't change the message to fit the audience, because that would be against the Bible. But he, adju- he adapts the message and the introduction and the approach to make it more understandable to his audience. The Gospels do the same thing. There are four different Gospels written by four different men under the common inspiration of God, each with their own perspective of Christ. So we're going to examine each of the four Gospels, considering their author, apparent or stated purposes, characteristics supporting that purpose, and intended audience. And we're going to start with Matthew. Matthew starts with a genealogy of Christ showing his descent from David, because for the Jews, descent was very important. He has the greatest number of Old Testament quotes, over 60 times he quotes from the Old Testament. And he really leans into this divine descent from David in his entire account. And if we look at these four verses, in Matthew 9, 27, when Jesus departed thence, two blind men followed him, crying and saying, Thou son of David, have mercy on us. In 12, 23, and all the people were amazed and said, Is not this the son of David? In 15, and behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coasts and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. And in 2030, and behold, two blind men sitting by the wayside, when they heard that Jesus passed by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou Son of David. That phrase, Son of David, appears very little in the other Gospels. But in Matthew, it appears over and over and over. Similarly, there's one phrase he uses 31 times while the other Gospels never use it. 3.2, and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In 4.17, from that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew 13.11, he answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. Now, all the people who wrote or witness to the people who wrote the Gospels, heard those words. But to Matthew, they were important, because his message was that Jesus Christ was the promised son of David, the king of the Jews. In Christ's trial before Pilate, Matthew focuses in on the one event that reinforces his presentation of Christ, when Christ agrees that he is the king of the Jews. The book is written by a Jew, two Jews, emphasizing Christ as their promised king and Messiah and shows God's faithfulness to keep his promises. One of the four gospels is written specifically to God's chosen people about their promised Messiah. Now, I don't know. I haven't spent a lot of time talking to Messianic Jews. I'm not sure how much a, a Jew trying to preach to another Jew goes to Matthew. But I would think Matthew and Hebrews would be the two books they'd go to. Because they're the books that are very much written to a Jewish audience. Mark. Now, Mark takes a different perspective. Mark was a co-worker and disciple of Peter. He takes a different approach. His view of the events are strongly colored by the remembrances of Peter, who was an eyewitness to Christ. Consider these accounts from Mark. In Mark, do I have this one?
1: John did baptize in the wilderness and preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of... St- this is 4 through
0: through That's a different passage. Don't worry, I got this one. I got this one, no problem, brother. Mark 1, 40 through 42, And there came a leper to him, beseeching him, kneeling down to him, and saying unto him, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus, moved with compassion, put forth his hand, and touched him, and saith unto him, I will, be thou clean. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy departed from him, and he was cleansed. Or in Mark chapter 6, verse 33, And the people saw them departing, and many knew him, and ran a foot thither out of all the cities, and outwent them, and came together unto him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people, and was moved with compassion toward them, because they were as sheep, not having a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Or in Mark chapter 8, In those days the multitude, being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples unto them and saith unto them, I have compassion on the multitude, because they have now been with me three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away fasting to their own houses, they will faint by the way, for divers of them came from far. From these three passages, what do you see in common? Compassion. Jesus had compassion on the blind men, on the lepers, on the crowd. Now, I'm not saying the other... Gospels don't record evidence of Christ's compassion, but it's a particular emphasis for Mark. Mark focuses on the compassion that Jesus had for the people around him, a sign of his love for them. And then there's another focus we can see in Mark that can perhaps best be seen in this first chapter. See what words in this account jump out at you.
1: And there went out unto him all the land of Judea and they of Jerusalem. Keep going and were all baptized of him in the river of jordan confessing their sins and john was clothed with camel's hair and with a girdle of a skin about his loins and he did eat locusts and wild honey and preached saying there cometh one mightier than i after me the latchet of whose shoes i am not worthy to stoop down and unloose i indeed have baptized you with water but he shall baptize you with the holy ghost And it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized of John in Jordan. And straightway coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opened and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. And there came a voice from heaven saying, Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And immediately the Spirit driveth him into the wilderness. And he was there in the wilderness forty days, tempted of Satan, and was with the wild beasts and the angels ministered unto him. Now after that John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye, and believe the gospel. Now as he walked by the sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew his brother casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. And straightway, They forsook their nets and followed him. And when he had gone a little further thence, he saw James the son of Zebedee and John his brother who also were in the ship mending their nets and straightway he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the ship with the hired servants and went after him. And they went into Capernaum and straightway on the Sabbath day he entered into the synagogue and taught. You
0: see anything peculiar about this passage? There's... One couple of words, two or three words that appear over and over and over in the account. I know you know what they are. Anybody else see it? Straightway? Immediately? Just in chapter 1 of, of Mark, immediately appears four times. Straightway appears four times. Forthwith appears twice. Mark's focus is what Jesus did and less on what he said. He's constantly moving the action forward to the next event, the next thing, the next thing. The image, if you take these two things together, are a compassionate man who continually served the needs of others. Mark doesn't focus on what Jesus said. He focuses on what Jesus did. And if we consider Mark's source, I think that makes a great deal of sense. Peter... Maybe the one disciple who felt Christ's compassion more personally than a lot of the others because of how guilty he, wa- he felt, he was and he felt, after he betrayed Christ. He was warned by Christ. And he just be- coldly betrayed him three times running when Christ was at his very lowest and really needed a friend. But then when Christ returns, he just forgives Peter. Done. Done. You know, yes, they go through a conversation, but Peter's just forgiven. And I think that focused his heart on the rest of his life about the compassion of Christ. One verse in Mark reveals much about the mission of Jesus in Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for any, for many Mark has far fewer Old Testament quotes. While written by a Jew, Mark was culturally Jewish. It's not solely for a Jewish audience. Mark presents Christ as the suffering servant, one who came to live for others. Now, Luke, do I have this passage, brother? Luke 1? Okay. Forasmuch as many as taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us, Even as they delivered them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the first, to write to thee in order, most excellent Theophilus, that thou mightest know the certainty of these things where thou hast been instructed. I apologize. It didn't run off the end in my original. So Luke who was called by Paul the beloved physician in Colossians 4.14 and identified as a faithful co-worker in Philemon and the only faithful co-worker who stayed with Paul in 2 Timothy, wrote an account to Theophilus, a Roman. His name literally means lover of God. I don't think he was born with that name. A number of the early apostles took nicknames. Uh, Barnabas' name originally was, do you remember? He took Barnabas, which was Son of Consolation. That was the name that was given to him. I can't can't either, but while we know him as Barnabas, he was never born under that name. I doubt Theophilus, lover of God, was born under that name. But it it was a tag, an appellation, a nickname given to him by the believers around him. Possibly a noble... We don't know. There were other accounts, Luke says, but he set about to make an orderly account based on eyewitness testimony so that they could know with certainty. He's, he's a physician. Um, he's probably the writer of the Gospels who thinks most like I do. I did it again. He, he probably didn't smack his microphone very often. An organized thinker, a guy who, who wants the account as accurate as possible, and laid out as faithfully and straightforward as possible, the most chronological account. <coughs> the author never identifies himself, but the early church clear, churches clearly understood the author to be Luke. The reference that he makes in his first four verses to those things which are most surely believed among us refers to Old Testament prophecies that were taught to him and to Theophilus, who was clearly a friend, by the apostles and by the other disciples. Theophilus, at this point, was most likely saved because he'd been instructed in the prophecies. You wouldn't necessarily bother instructing him in that background unless he'd already been saved. You have this one, I think.
1: And after these things, he went forth and saw a publican named Levi sitting at the receipt of custom. And he said unto him, follow me. And he left all, rose up, and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his own house. And there was a great company of publicans and of others that sat down with them. But their scribes and Pharisees murmured against his disciples, saying, Why do ye eat and drink with publicans and sinners? And Jesus answering said unto them, They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance.
0: The Pharisees were offended when Christ's disciples didn't follow their purity laws. And remember, while we were talking about the Pharisees in the weeks in between the Old Testament and the New, these are are guys who were very tied up in their own sanctity, very happy with their relationship with God, the way they viewed it. (coughs) And they tended to elevate their purity laws that they received through the oral tradition, frankly, above Scripture. And so when Christ comes and he's eating with people that they would never associate with because they were low-down, dirty sinners, they have to say something in their minds. Jesus likens himself to a physician and the sinners to his sick patients. He was there to call sinners to repentance. The Pharisees, on the other hand, should have been offering hope and healing to the sick. Instead, they... Cast them out. Or in Luke chapter 19, we have this passage, right?
1: And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be guest with a man that is a sinner, And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house, for so much as he also is a son of Abraham.
0: Everyone saw Zacchaeus as unworthy of Jesus' time, attention, or presence, Zacchaeus saw his own sinfulness and was willing to repent. And Jesus acknowledged Zacchaeus' act of outward repentance as an indication of his inward salvation. Jesus, calling himself the Son of Man, acknowledged his mission was coming to seek and save the lost. Luke stated his intention from the beginning to make an orderly account, to encourage the faith of those who read his account. It was written by a Gentile to a Gentile audience. So many of the small traditions and customs of the Jews are explained inside the book to help a non-Jewish audience understand. It shows Christ working with those who were not accepted by the religious leadership. It shows Jesus Christ the Redeemer of all mankind. Not just the Jews, not just those that were following the law, but those that were outside the law. Those that were outcasts in their own society, if Christ came for them, well then there's hope for us, who were not part, who were never part of the Jewish elite, those who followed the law. And then we come to John. In John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In seven, the same came for a witness, to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. In twelve, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And then, do I have this one? I didn't mark, I apologize, that's all my fault. John three fifteen.
1: I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was.
0: One repeated idea shows up over and over in John, and it's belief. Belief in Jesus as the Savior of the world and as the Son of God. A particular phrase, Son of God, that doesn't show up too much in the other accounts. This belief, says John, will result in men knowing the light, becoming sons of God, and receiving everlasting life. Do we have this passage?
1: The Gospel according to St. John, chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not.
0: And then jumping to verse 14, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And at the other end of the book of John in chapter 20, And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that thou might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. Jesus is God and has existed from the beginning. He was the creator of the universe, and yet he became a man through the incarnation. and became the God-man. John writes, more than any other gospel, the focus on Christ's divine history and divine nature and the fact that he was the Son of God. John writes, hoping that people will believe in Christ and find eternal life. His message, a little bit more explicit than Luke's, Christ is the Son of God and the only source of eternal life. So there are four different perspectives that we can see. In these Gospels, Matthew writing specifically to the Jews, presenting Christ as the promised Messiah. Mark writing to a general crowd of Jews and Gentiles with Peter's eyewitness account of a compassionate God, a compassionate son of God who came to minister to others and focused on what he did less than what he said, and the image of this suffering servant. And then Luke, writing a very orderly, chronological account, which presented Christ not just as the Savior of the Jews, but as the Savior of the entire world. And then John, focusing on the eternal Godhood of Christ and his history, before he ever came to the earth, and then everything he did while he was on the earth, and every word he said while he was on the earth, that revealed who he was, the Son of God. And John writes very specifically, I'm doing this to prove who he was. So the four are in harmony. Unlike the blind men and the fable, the Gospels are not in conflict with each other. They're unique in their viewpoints, but not contradictory. For an example, let's consider a, the parallel passages of a knight on a boat in the Sea of Galilee. First the account of Matthew.
1: And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. bid me come unto thee on the water and he said come and when peter was come down out of the ship he walked on the water to go to jesus but when he saw the wind boisterous he was afraid and beginning to sink he cried saying lord save me and immediately jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him O thou of little faith wherefore didst thou doubt and when they were come into the ship the wind ceased Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God.
0: John has a little bit different story. Same night, same events.
1: And when even was now come, his disciples went down unto the sea, and entered into a ship, and went over the sea toward Capernaum. And it was now dark, and Jesus was not come to them. And the sea arose by reason of a great wind that blew, So when they had rowed about five and twenty or thirty furlongs, they see Jesus walking on the sea and drawing nigh unto the ship, and they were afraid. But he saith unto them, It is I, be not afraid. Then they willingly received him into the ship, and immediately the ship was at the land whither they went.
0: So John and Matthew were both in the boat that night. Matthew in recording his version of what happened, records Peter's watery stroll. John does not. John says the disciples went down to the sea. Matthew says that Jesus sent them down. Matthew identifies the time. John identifies the distance from shore. John mentions immediately getting to shore after Christ came. Matthew does not. Matthew records the wind ceasing and the worship of Christ. John does not. Both record the great wind, the disciples' fear, the storm, and Jesus walking and getting into the boat. Jesus' words are the same in both accounts, except that Matthew adds, be of good cheer, the introductory line. There's no actual contradictions, but differences in the way that two authors will tell the same story. Peter's stroll, for example, is left out of John because... Peter walking on the water does not show John as the son of God. And John said at the end of his gospel, I left out lots of things. The ones I included, they were the ones that proved Christ as the son of God. Wow, that was, darn it. I apologize. I just did something. It's getting worse. Give me a moment. Okay. Thank you. So as I said... Two stories of the same events told by two different people from two different perspectives. But there's no contradiction. Matthew doesn't say, for example, that John was never there. John does not record Matthew and being in a different city. They both say all the disciples were there. And every place where their accounts do overlap, they match. But there's lots of things each leaves out. In the same way that myself and my brother telling a story of our childhood won't focus on the same events. Because we're two different people with two very different viewpoints. My brother and I are not much alike. We won't even get into our sister. That's a whole another kettle of fish there. So... We talked about four different titles for Jesus today. King of the Jews, Suffering Servant, Redeemer of Mankind, Son of God. Which of these is the most challenging for you to understand? Anybody want to jump in here? Which of these just doesn't mean a lot to you, if any? Yeah, that's more than fair. Yeah. I mean, certainly it's not one that has a lot of meaning to me personally, not being Jewish. I mean, it's meaningful from my understanding of the Old Testament. Sure, that's important. How much it impacts my day-to-day life, maybe not that much. Anyone else? I think man, because it's so difficult
2: to separate.
0: Yeah, do you mean a redeemer of mankind? Talk anyway. that's a tough one. Yeah. Redeemer of all landings. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. It makes sense. Yeah, that that moment when oh wait, wait, maybe that does make sense, and then a little later, right. yeah. Hmm, Bob.
2: He is the only one inside of that circle able to reach. He has the seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God. Um, And then you read in the Old Testament where there's a stone that has the seven eyes on it, the seven spirits of God. So the scripture tells us in different ways, even in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, but it's still one of the most amazing, uh, I guess, realities that we have a hard time putting our mind around, for sure, but the glory of all the elders who worship the throne, the man on the throne who is God, and then worship the Lamb who is the Son of God, and you see there in Revelation, it's very clear that they're both treated equally as God.
0: Thank you, brother. Which of those titles is most meaningful to you? is the one that just grabs you and anchors you?
2: It's gotta be the redeemer.
0: A lot of meaning in that one. Redeemer of mankind. And mankind includes us. Anyone else? How can knowing that each of the Gospels has a slightly different audience in mind in a different way to highlight who Jesus is, help you as you seek to share the gospel with others.
2: Well, that's the way life is. I mean, the three of us witnessed an accident here at the corner. We're going to tell it in a little We're going to include detail because it's human. It gets the story across. And I think that getting it from different angles builds a tighter story. Everybody knows it's a true story. Seeing different details, and the same is true of the Christ. I mean, I never doubted in the first place. But if I did, I could look at a Roman writer, I could look at a Jewish writer, I could get that
0: and say, "All oh, these people are on the same page. This is a true story." Amen. Amen. Richard, why don't you come up? Anyone else? Richard, any closing comment, brother?